Welcome to you wherever you are at, whomever you're with. We are so very glad that you are here with us for these few moments together. Do want to mention to you again this uh, incredible resource. It's called the U version. And uh, you, it's a free app that you can download onto your phone or onto your device. It has every translation of the Bible that you can imagine. It has reading plans, it has videos, and uh, as I mentioned, uh, it's free. And so I would encourage you, uh, once you get in there, uh, you'll find a menu that has events, and you can also find a complete set of notes to each of our weekend messages. So I encourage you to check out the U version. Well, we are in a series called Almost Happy, and uh, it comes from this truth that Jesus proclaimed that he has come that we might have life and have it abundantly, have life overflowing. And you'll notice there's nothing missing there. In fact, uh, later on in John's gospel, he records these words of Jesus. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. And so that's our goal. That's our quest is how do we uh, tap into that fullness of joy that Jesus said is part of following him. Uh, and so one of the ways we're doing that is we're looking at one of the uh, Apostle Paul's letters, which is all about joy. It's all about the fullness that we can have through uh, following Christ. In fact, uh, in this uh, letter to the Philippians, Paul uses the word joy and rejoice 16 times in just four chapters. And you could summarize his entire letter with this phrase, I will say it again rejoice and so uh, we're allowing paul to get us on a pathway that leads to a fullness of joy where there is nothing missing uh, early on in our series we uh, looked at king solomon who had everything that money could buy he had all the uh, riches that you could imagine and he set out on a quest to find true happiness yeah, he did everything possible, pursued every pleasure, had an abundance of wives and building projects and gardens and orchards. And at the end of his quest, he made this lament. He said, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless to me. It was a chasing after a wind. And uh, here's a good translation of Solomon's lament. Aiming at the wrong things in life will always leave us disappointed and unhappy. And uh, I would say this about Solomon's quest, and I think Jesus would concur. Uh, his aims were too low. Uh, he set his sights on things that really can't bring that fullness of joy. I love this quote uh, by one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, and uh, he's describing uh, our human quest for meaning and satisfaction. Here's what he said. Uh, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. You know, that's an interesting perspective that, that Jesus would evaluate what we expect from God and what we reach for from God. And he would say our desires are not too strong, but they're too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. You know, I think what Lewis is saying is oftentimes we set our sights too low. 
We settle for too less in our experience of God. Uh, I remember back as a uh, not-so-wise teenager, uh, I had the good fortune of, of uh, gaining a car that was in showroom condition. The only problem with that car is I considered it an old person's car. It was a, it was a Ford Fairlane, uh, but it was immaculate and uh, drove quite well. And I was, like I said, I was blessed to have it. But uh, one summer, uh, my, my desire started turning to other things. And I sold that uh, immaculate showroom condition Ford Falcon for 500 bucks. And I purchased me a, a Kawasaki motorcycle, 125 cc's. And I remember the first few days I owned that, I thought, what a deal. You know, I made the right choice. And then as summer turned into fall, I began to question the, uh, the sanity of my choice. And then as I got into the dead of winter, one night I was driving home from my job at a frozen food plant, and I was soaking wet from cleaning all the machinery, and I was on my little Kawasaki 125 lamenting uh, and wishing that I had that old person's Ford Falcon in showroom condition. Uh, well, the title of this message today is Aim Higher. It's an invitation to aim at things that really do satisfy, that really do bring fullness of joy, and not to settle for the lesser things that in the end don't really supply what we had hoped they would. Uh, I came across a book recently. It's called The Happiness Hypothesis. And uh, it's uh, quite a research compilation uh, looking at what are the things that truly do satisfy and make people happy. And they had an interesting uh, evaluation of Solomon's comments. Uh, the author, uh, Jonathan Haidt, says uh, Ecclesiastes wasn't just... Uh, Solomon wasn't just battling the fear of meaninglessness. He was battling the disappointment of success. Uh, hear that again. Uh, in in uh, Jonathan Haidt's evaluation, King Solomon wasn't just battling the fear of life without meaning. What he was really grappling with was the, uh, the disappointment of success. He had it all, yet he was disappointed. Uh, the author goes on to cite some research. The pleasure of getting what you want is often feeling uh, less than what we had hoped for, leaves us feeling less than what we had hoped for. You dream about getting a promotion, being accepted into a prestigious school, or finishing a big project. You work every waking hour, perhaps imagining how happy you would be if you could just achieve that goal. And then, lo and behold, it happens. You succeed. And uh, as the author uh, kind of has his own lament, he says, you're lucky if you get an hour, maybe a day of euphoria. Uh, and then he writes, in such circumstances, looking at his own reaction to achieving his goals, he says, my first thought is seldom, hooray, fantastic, I've arrived. Rather, it's okay, what do I have to do now? You know, what, what, what's next on my plate? Well, uh, one of the chapters in this book, The Happiness Hypothesis, uh, talks about the, the joy that comes from pursuing a goal versus the joy that comes when we achieve it. And uh, he divides it into two aspects, pre-goal attainment, the, and defines that as the pleasurable feeling you get as you make progress 
toward a worthy goal. And then post-goal attainment, the feeling of contentment as a short-lived release uh, when your left prefrontal cortex reduces its goal-oriented activity uh, after a goal has been achieved. So one is the, uh, the pleasure that comes from making steps toward a goal, and the other is the relief that comes when we've, lo and behold, achieved it. And uh, here's the conclusion, and uh, observation seems to bear this out. When it comes to goals pursued, it really is the journey that counts. Most of the pleasure, uh, the author states, will be found along the way with every step that takes you closer to your ultimate goal. Well, uh, I want to apply that to our journey towards Christ. Uh, in Paul's letter, which is all about fullness of joy and finding that, uh, that unimaginable, uh, uncalculable joy that Jesus offers us, uh, Paul says it really comes down to focusing on our pursuit of Christ, at least that's the way it is for him. Uh, we saw this, this uh, image of this wonderful mountain in Yosemite, El Capitan, and uh, compared that to the nature of Jesus, that everywhere you go in this wonderful park, you see this looming presence of this majestic mountain. And in Paul's letter to the Philippians, he says, Christ is like that. Uh, for me to live is Christ, he says, and to die is gain. And in making him the focus of my life, uh, everything has become better. But here's the truth. Uh, in Paul's view, uh, Jesus is not so much like El Cap. Uh, Jesus is more like the infinite universe, that there literally can be no end to exploring the height and depth and width and breadth of the love that is in Christ. You know, when we think about the, uh, the nature of the universe and how the more it's explored and the more that's discovered, the more unfathomable it becomes, the more infinite, the more mind-boggling. In fact, I've read numerous stories this week of uh, astronomers who were atheists or agnostics and through their exploration of the incredible infinite universe, they began to believe or at least acknowledge that there must be a creative personality behind this wonderful, uh, expansive universe. And that's, that's very similar to how the Apostle Paul uh, viewed Jesus Christ in his pursuit of him. And Paul uh, gives us some insights into how to stay on that pathway and the peculiar joy that's found with each progressive step uh, toward him. Uh, and here's what Paul writes. He says, when I, when I contemplate my journey with Christ and becoming what he has called me to be, he says, not that I've already obtained all of this or that in any way I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And see, Paul says he's on this quest and it's to fully embrace fully live out, fully experience every possible reason why Christ took hold of him. And uh, it's so much a part of Paul's view of what truly makes us happy that I want to ask you this question. Uh, has Christ Jesus 
taken hold of you? And please don't answer that question flippantly. Don't answer it too quickly. But has Christ Jesus captured you? Has he grabbed a hold of your heart? Has he seized your thoughts and taken charge and uh, become the, the focus and the driving force and the passion and the consuming interest of your life? Uh, for Paul, that was literal. Literal. In fact, uh, in the book of Acts, uh, we, we, we get to see when that happened for Paul. In uh, Acts chapter 9, it describes when Christ Jesus took hold of Paul. We're told about noon, as uh, Paul came near to Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. Paul is recounting uh, when Christ Jesus took hold of him. He says, I fell to the ground. And I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I love Paul's response. He says, uh, who are you, Lord? I asked. And the reply startled him. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. At this point, uh, Paul, his response probably was, oops, uh, haven't been on the right side of that equation and so he asked the appropriate question. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said. Go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. That's taking hold of Paul's life. Uh, get up and go into Damascus, and there you'll find out what your assignment is, what your marching orders are, what your duties uh, that God has lined out for you. And the reason... I've taken hold of you. Well, God had also uh, prepared the way uh, to get Paul moving in the direction that Christ had called him. He began speaking to one of his followers named Ananias. And uh, the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man Paul, Saul, is my chosen instrument, and I've chosen him to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And, and now hear this. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. See, that's taken hold of. God, through Jesus, had captured Paul for his purposes. He had captured Paul uh, to a greater mission in his life. He had uh, transferred him from the wrong side of the equation to the right side of God's eternal purposes. And so I ask you again, uh, has Christ Jesus taken hold of you? Uh, you may say, well, uh, honestly, I can't say I had a time when a bright light burst upon me and I fell to the ground and was overwhelmed by the living presence of Jesus. Uh, but maybe uh, you would say it differently. Yes, there was a time in my life when Christ won my heart. There was a time when he convinced me he is who he said he is. And I could tell you unmistakably uh, that uh, I reached a place where I knew that I now belong to him. As the Bible says that I had been purchased with a price. Uh, you know, I think this is so essential for our pursuit of the kind of uh, fullness of joy that Jesus offered 
to move into the abundant life that he promised following him would give, at some point we need to acknowledge Christ has taken hold of me. Uh, he's captured me. He's won me. And I am his from this time forward. Uh, you know, it's, it's uh, helpful uh, to think in terms of uh, an Olympic athlete on a quest. In fact, I read a, a biography of, of one athlete who described uh, his passion. He said, you know, to have a desire to become the best in the world at anything uh, takes more than you can muster up. It, he used the word, it's like a calling. It's like being taken hold of something and that, that thing that's captured your heart and your passion and your interest, you're willing to suffer for it. You're willing to give more than you ever thought you had available to give. You find uh, the very best and beyond being pulled out of you because you've been captured by this cause. And that's the imagery that the Apostle Paul uses to describe his quest in life is now to take hold of Christ who took hold of him. And he goes on, he says, brothers and sisters, I want you to know something. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Uh, what he's saying is, I, I don't assume that I've become what Christ has called me to be. And uh, here, I think, is the principle that, that Paul is putting in front of us that keeps us on the pathway that leads to ultimate and real and lasting joy and happiness. I don't assume that I am all of that yet, Paul is saying. I don't in any way believe that I have arrived. You know, I think uh, the assumption that we have, uh, we've, we've become what Christ called us to be is a killer. I think it stops us dead in our tracks and our journey towards Christ. Uh, Jesus tells an interesting story uh, about a guy who had a huge debt. In fact, he never could pay off this debt that he owed. And uh, in his mercy, uh, this guy who uh, he owed the money to forgave him his debt. He said, uh, go your way. You know, I've, I've chosen to be generous and gracious to you. And uh, as Jesus tells the story, this guy who's been forgiven this uh, incalculable debt, first thing he does is he goes out and finds a, a poor dog who owns, owes him a much, much smaller debt, a few bucks. And uh, he says, pay up. And the guy basically has the same request that he once had of his, uh, the man he owed money to. Uh, the guy says, uh, give me a little time and I'll pay up what I owe. And uh, his response is, well, of course, I've experienced generosity. Now I pass that on to you. No, that's not his response at all in the story of Jesus. Uh, quite to the contrary, uh, Jesus said he grabs the man by the throat, threatens him, and has him thrown into prison uh, because of his unpaid debt. Well, why would Jesus tell a story like that? He was saying, we of all people, uh, who've experienced the grace and mercy of God through the person of Jesus Christ, we should never become the kind of religious snobs that, that somehow demand perfection of others when we are so far from it ourselves. And Paul says that's one of the attitudes that I carry into my quest to become what Christ has called me to be and to take hold of what Christ has taken hold of me for is... Uh, 
I never see myself as someone who has become everything that Christ has called him to be. In fact, I never claim to know Christ fully. You know, I think uh, those of us who are prone to put imaginary pictures of Jesus on our walls, uh, we can come to the false assumption that we truly know Christ. And Paul would say, don't assume that. Uh, Christ is, is immense. He's, in, he's incalculable. He's infinite. In fact, listen to these words from Colossians 1, verse 15. Uh, Paul says, he, Christ, is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, uh, things in heaven, things on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or dominions, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, Paul writes, so that in everything he might have the supremacy for God, infinite God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And Paul would say, brothers and sisters, in my quest to take hold of Christ and to know him as he knows me, I don't pretend to be there. But this, uh, I don't do that. But here's one thing I do. He says, brothers, I don't pretend to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know, we referenced an Olympic athlete. And last week we saw this picture of a woman, uh, Shanna Wilson, uh, falling diving, stretching for the finish line. And because of her all-out effort, she won the gold medal. And, and we, we made the application that this is what Paul is saying. This is the way I reach forward. There's a, there's a forward lean to my life. I'm always pressing in, reaching for, giving everything I have to know Christ more fully and to become what he has called me to be. Uh, here's a good way I would say that. Uh, where I've been, Paul says, I forget the things that are behind. Where I've been, what I've experienced aren't nearly as important as where Christ is taking me. Hear that again. Uh, this was Paul's disposition, and it's one that lends itself to the kind of joy and happiness that we're talking about. Where we've been, what we've experienced, though they matter, yes, are not nearly as important as where Christ is taking and leading us. See, I believe that this is an invitation uh, that every one of us uh, have the ability to rewrite the end of our story. Uh, wherever our beginnings took us, uh, you look at the Apostle Paul, totally on the wrong side of God's purposes. That certainly sums up and describes my life before Christ. Uh, we get to choose what the end of our story uh, will look like and how it will read. You know, I came across a, a really wonderful principle recently. It was in a book called The Grit Factor. And uh, there the author talks about the ability to reframe our narrative. 
In other words, we can look at uh, the things that happen to us, whether good, bad, or ugly, and we can decide how God incorporates those into our lives. In fact, uh, in July, uh, we're going to introduce a new series. Uh, I'm really excited about it. It's called Powerful Life. And uh, accordingly so, we're going to introduce this on the 4th of July. Uh, but this series is all about the ability that God gives us uh, to reinterpret and to reinvest the things that happen in our lives where we get to turn them. God can empower us to turn those events into good things. We have the, imbil the ability to interpret and to write our own story. We can decide that our lives are more about where we're going than where we've been. We can choose to have our love abound more and more, as Paul says earlier in his letter. And so he, uh, he, he points us, the Apostle Paul does, on these principles that we can take a charge uh, of our narrative. We can allow Christ to help us write a story that not only brings glory to him, moves us into his purposes, but keeps us right in the center of that joy and that happiness that he promised. Uh, uh, Paul writes further in verse 15, uh, all of us then who are mature, some translations use the word perfect, all of us who are mature or growing towards perfection, we should take such a view of things, Paul says. In other words, Paul is summarizing everything he's written in this letter about joy and happiness. And he's saying, uh, if you really consider yourself a person who is on the pathway in your faith journey, if you consider yourself someone who is moving towards that maturity, taking hold of the reason Christ took hold of you, then Paul says, uh, we'll have this view on things. Uh, we'll see that uh, the example of Christ who emptied himself and became a servant is an example that's meant for us to follow. We'll see that we can be, though we have differences of opinions, we can be of one mind, of one spirit, striving side by side together for the faith of the gospel. As we saw last week, we'll see, uh, as if we're maturing, that we can count every other pursuit as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Uh, Paul says we'll not only take this view of things, but he, he reminds us if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. What is Paul saying? That uh, God is faithful. Uh, he will teach us along the way if we stay open to what God is wanting to teach us. If there's anything that we've, we've closed ourselves off, we've assumed we're, we're living out the character and the call of Christ more than we actually are, Paul says, look, uh, God is faithful. He'll work with you. Uh, he'll use circumstances that you go through, challenges that you face, obstacles that you can't overcome, and he will show you that next step for you, where you get to let go of something in order to take hold of something that's of greater value. Here's the way I would say this uh, attitude of happiness Paul is putting in front of us through his own example, staying flexible, staying teachable, staying humble and receptive are our greatest assets 
on the road to infinite joy, staying flexible, being teachable, remaining humble, being receptive. Uh, These are indispensable qualities if we are going to become what Christ is inviting us to be. Uh, He himself said, you can't put new wine in old wineskins. You can't put the the expansive, never-ending, dynamic, transforming life of Jesus in something that's rigid and predetermined and set in its ways. There must be uh, an expansiveness to our own souls. And then finally, Paul says, only let us live up to what we have already attained. In other words, uh, stop starting over. Stop backsliding. Stop allowing yourself behaviors that you once put away that you know are not part of who you're becoming in Christ. Stop allowing those attitudes, those grumblings, those conflicts that uh, Paul has talked about previously and will talk about in the next chapter. You see, here's what Paul is reminding us of, that as followers of Christ, the real blessings... The real happiness is found in doing good, not having good intentions. Hear that again. The real blessing of following Christ really comes down to following Christ. The happiness is found in doing the good that his lordship summons us towards and not just having good intentions. You know, uh, uh, the people who research happiness kind of look at the kind of behaviors that lend themselves towards Uh, more of a sense of well-being. They did an interesting study with college students. They took one study group and they asked them to add uh, an afternoon ritual to their routine. And that was going out for ice cream, treating themselves to ice cream. And uh, that was something they had to incorporate into a a two-week schedule. I know they probably gained some weight after that one, but then they took another study group, and rather than having them go out for ice cream uh, once an afternoon, they had them work on creating a list of all the people that they were grateful for and what it is about that person that they had gratitude. Uh, What were the reasons for their gratitude? And then uh, that group was uh, asked to schedule an appointment with each of those people and share their list with them. Well, when they brought these two groups back together, uh, they did a pre and a post activity happiness scale. And lo and behold, you would think the people who got to treat themselves to ice cream every day would have been significantly happier. They were not. But the people who were asked to make a list of those they were grateful toward and actually meet with those people and share with them the reasons for their gratitude those people were significantly higher on their personal happiness scale. And it reminds us that uh, the blessing and the joy is found in doing the things that Christ calls us to do. And then finally, uh, Paul uh, leaves us and his readers with this thought. He says, of all these things, all these ways that we keep Christ as the central pursuit of our lives joined together, in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, as inspiration, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Paul is calling them out. He's calling them up. 
and he's saying, look, do this together. And it, it's kind of like uh, to follow the idea of an Olympic athlete. It's like, imagine you're part of an Olympic team. And uh, yeah, you have your own challenges and your own difficulties, but together as one team, you're, you're calling each other to a higher performance and a higher standard. I want to go back to the words of C.S. Lewis, uh, which we read at the opening of this message. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is being offered to us instead. And see, I, I hope that, that through this message that you'll be motivated, stirred, uh, that there'll be something in you that wants to aim higher. And whatever it is that, that you're pursuing right now, and we all have our, our goals and our aspirations and those things that we're moving toward. Here's my invitation. If you will put knowing Christ at the center of those, if you will put the pursuit of him uh, at the very uh, center of your ambition, if you will be reminded of how he has taken hold of you and make it your aim to take hold of his purpose in your life, all of those goals will be more satisfying. They will lead you towards the kind of happiness that this series is all about. In fact, we, uh, we looked at this uh, list of happiness essentials. And these are things that sociologists, therapists, theologians, and writers of the Bible and the teachings of Jesus all agree that these are indeed the things that produce lasting joy. And I would just say this about each of these attributes. When they are infused with the pursuit of Jesus, they come alive in our lives. When Jesus is our primary ambition, and we stretch for him like that Olympic athlete straining for the goal that there, our mission and purpose, whatever that looks like for us, becomes better. Our positive view of our own story becomes more empowered as God works to cause all things to work together for our good. His presence makes our work more purposeful and satisfying. Life's difficulties become more bear, bear, bearable. And fellowship with Jesus makes our love more genuine and our connections more life-giving. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for the invitation that we feel from the Apostle Paul, but from your spirit, asking us, compelling us, challenging us to aim higher with our lives, to not settle for lesser things, Lord, that we would not find ourselves like Solomon uh, when we've achieved everything we set out to achieve and saying it's all meaningless. Where's the value in this? Lord, would you give us the ability to put you at the center of our pursuits? And Lord, uh, we saw in the apostle what it took for you to take hold of him. And Lord, I don't know how that would look for each one of us that are hearing these words today. But Lord, we know that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Lord, uh, we know that no one uh, can take hold of you unless you first take hold of them. And so Lord, however that needs to happen, that you would show up uh, in people's lives, Lord, in their circumstance, as they're facing their greatest challenges, Lord, that there would be that sense that you're there, winning their heart, uh, capturing their interest, 
compelling them, Lord, calling for their allegiance in the same way that you did for the Apostle Paul, Lord. May you work that kind of recapturing in each of our hearts. And maybe you've never uh, discovered the life that is in Jesus Christ, but as you hear these words, you know that's what you want. Uh, I want to lead you in a prayer, and you would just, your, your response to him would be as uh, real as what the apostle said, Lord, what should I do? And, and know that he will begin directing your steps. And so you would say, Lord Jesus, uh, thank you for coming into my life. Thank you for your desire to take hold of me, and I want to respond to that. I want to open up to your call and your summons and believe that my greatest good is ahead of me. My greatest purpose and meaning in life, I, I realize it will be found as I pursue you. And so I begin that pursuit right now, Lord. Uh, show me what to do next. Show me what those next steps are for me. But thank you for coming into my life, for showing me your love and your forgiveness and putting me on that pathway toward God and his fullness, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.